Okay, if you have your Bibles with you, would you please turn to Acts chapter 17? Acts chapter 17. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to be with you this morning. Um, I'm sure a number of you um, lost an hour of sleep, as I heard Pastor Matt say earlier, unless you were you know, proactive enough to move your clocks and go to bed early. Um, uh, but hey, daylight savings time started this morning. Aren't you excited for that? <laughs> Yeah, I'm excited about it. <laughs> I tell you why I'm excited about it. Because that means technically we're actually an hour earlier, which means I have one extra hour this morning to preach. And I'm going to really, I have, I have notes and note. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> you're like, well, if you do that, does that mean that in the fall you're only going to preach for like three minutes? So actually I wouldn't preach at all because I don't speak for an hour. Um, in all seriousness, I'm not going to go that long today, but... Um, I mean, I won't go an hour and 40 minutes long today. Um, but we are going to talk about something that is in Acts 17 that I think is really powerful. And, and this is the thing about the Word of God. I mean, every part of God's Word is powerful. I believe that. Some things will connect with us more than others. Some things we just don't understand unless we study in more depth. Um, but I'm an advocate of this truth, and this is what I have found in my own life. If you read God's Word with the intent to understand and apply, it transforms you. If you read God's word to read God's word, it's not going to do anything to you. How do I know that? Because there were a bunch of people that Jesus walked around with called the Pharisees, and he called them whitewashed tombs, and they knew the word of God. Now, this is talking about the Old Testament, and they knew the word, and they knew the scriptures, but they didn't apply it. They didn't make it part of their lives. And that's the part that I just want to encourage you with today. If what we see in God's word today becomes something that we understand with our minds and we apply with our lives, we will see transformation and change. Um, It looks different for every person, but one thing I can see over and over again is, I mean, God is, like I said last week when we talked about the first half of Acts 17, when we're searching for truth, and we're looking for God, he will reveal himself to us. We do that. Last week, we talked about the church in Berea, the Bereans, and how they diligently studied the word of God, the scriptures, right? Looking to see if what Paul was saying in scriptures were true. And we talked about them being um, of noble character, the scripture says, which we referred to and equated with an open mind, that they went into the scriptures with an open mind. They didn't let the distractions of the world or their experiences that were negative stop them. They didn't let their prior understandings prevent them from growing. They were open-minded and they walked it out and then they searched the scriptures. And as we talked about last week, they would have had to search them in community because there weren't individual Bibles. They came together. I'm sure they went to synagogue and they, they opened up the scrolls and they read from the Old Testament, the Torah, and they, they, they searched and, and they did it as a community. How powerful it is when we search the scriptures with an open mind and we do it in community. Um, Yeah, it's powerful for me to even consider what that would look like as the church continues to be the church, just how powerful that can be and how it is. Um, We are going to look at the second chunk of Acts chapter 17 today, verses 22 through through 34. Um, And I just want to share a little bit of candor with you about how I have experienced my Christian walk at certain times in my life, and maybe you can identify with this, but you know, as you read through the book of Acts, I have all kinds of emotions that come my way. Um, I, get, I get really amazed at some of the great things that we see. Maybe you've had that experience that you're just blown away by what you see. Um, it can be incredibly inspiring to see what God did through his early church and how he 
moved people and touched people and healed people and grew uh, the body of Christ. And it's beautiful to see all of that. But, but sometimes it feels a little bit overwhelming to me uh, because I feel like um, we have the church of Acts and then we have the church in Lansdale. You know what I'm saying? It's like there's the church in Acts and then there's the church in Lansdale. You know, and we look at like the effectiveness and sometimes we go, God used 120 people to turn the whole world upside down. Think about that. Most of them were not educated people in the way that we would have assumptions. Many of them, some of them were, obviously the Apostle Paul, but the core that he met with and he transformed, they weren't highly educated people, but they were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm a little overwhelmed sometimes because, well, this is all about evangelism. The book of Acts is all about evangelism. And then you see threads of discipleship throughout it. You see different examples of how they evangelized and shared the good news of Christ. And then how discipleship kind of came in underneath that. So when you read the whole book of Acts, you see all the things that happened for the church to be born. And then you see how the church began to spread. And then you see how Paul was transformed. And then you see three different missionary journeys from the Apostle Paul. And then all of the epistles that he wrote after that, most of them go back to the cities and the people that he planted churches in, writing letters of encouragement and discipleship. Like, it's really amazing to see how it all comes together. Um, But when I consider what my days look like, and I consider all the things that the Apostle Paul did, I feel like I'm not hitting the mark sometimes, if that makes sense. Like, wow. Wow. The Apostle Paul changed lives. Peter did this. Look what the disciples were able to accomplish. And sometimes I feel like the answer that I hear, and, I, and I, I've gone through most of my life in the Christian church. I mean, I think I was four years old um, when I first remember ever being in a Christian church. I was 11 when I was water baptized. Um, there's a theme sometimes, if we're not careful, that sounds like this. You're not doing enough. You're not doing enough. You're not doing enough. You need to do more. You need to do better. You need to be and fill in the blank. Does that? Does anyone ever you track it with me? What that's like sometimes? You know, you know that's good, but it's not good enough. That's okay, but you need to do this. You need to do that. And when I consider my weekly calendar and I think about all the things that I'm doing in my life, I kind of run out of time. So sometimes the doing more message. You know, it hits me like a lead balloon. <laughs> it hits, it deflates me to say like, wow, you know, I look at the number of hours in my week and I go, wow, I'm glad I heard that message from that minister today because he just made me feel like I can't ever succeed. You ever have that experience? Not here, of course, but I mean, have you ever had that experience? <laughs> Maybe it is here. I don't know. Um, and it is. I mean, we, we're not perfect people. We make decisions, but uh, or we all, you know, do our best at different times. But let me ask you, Doing more, giving more, I'm not really sure about that when I look at this passage, and I'll explain why in a few minutes. What if the train of thought that we have around that isn't really God's intention at all? You know, someone said a long time ago that God has given me, I can't remember who it was in one of the calendars I have with the quotes, it says, um, God has given all of us the same amount of hours each day and each week. If we find ourselves at the end of the day exhausted, running out of time, Um, never able to complete the things that we have on our list, we're probably doing more that day that God actually intended for us to do. I thought that was pretty powerful. And I said, what if the answer to all of this isn't just do more, do better, be a better blank? What if there's something else that we need to rethink and then we need to give it back to God and really do experience at that point what he means when he says, 
for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That does not absolve us for what Jesus tells us to do. Let me make sure I clarify. Like becoming a follower of Christ, you know, doesn't mean that you, you know, you move into like, you know, the amusement parks of the spiritual realm, you know, where everything's wonderful. No, uh, Jesus says, you know, you need to take up your cross and follow me if you're going to be my disciple, right? That's what he's talking about. Figuratively, he's talking about dying to yourself so that you can live for Christ, um, It means that our life is no longer under our management, but it's under the life of Christ. So there is a losing our life concept to gain life that the scripture is clear about. But is the answer then, now that you're a Christian, you work at an insane rate and pace, always feeling like you're never able to do enough and succeed? I don't think that's the way God has called us to live. In fact, I think it's a horrible witness to the world. I think when Christians are so busy and crazy that we can't actually be in relationship with other people or share life with other people, we are actually a very poor witness because we think we're doing good things, but are we doing the things God has called us to do? So I'm saying that this morning because um, the message this morning that I'm pulling out of Acts 17, 22 through 34 is called living the gospel, living the gospel. Okay. And um, you might have read this passage and pulled out completely different things from it than I did. Um, When I'm looking at these passages, I am looking specifically for principles that I see what God is doing through his followers that we can extract and apply today um, in, this, in this world that we're in right now. And what we see in the Apostle Paul, not just in this passage, but especially in this passage, is that he knew how to live the gospel. Paul wasn't doing tasks. He was simply doing everything from an overflow of what God was doing in him. Does that make sense? He was living the gospel. He didn't evangelize. I have to believe that he didn't get up. He was a tent maker, remember? And I can't remember just to provide income. I can't believe every day he got up and he said, well, today is the day I'm going to evangelize, you know, and tomorrow's the day I'm going to disciple. And I can't disciple when I'm evangelizing. Like, I don't think he put these in categories. I think he just lived a life that looked like Jesus. And I think that that's really powerful for us to understand. In this passage, we see an example of things the Apostle Paul did during all of his missionary journeys. This is only one piece, but you see this consistently through all the missionary journeys. And you have to look for it, but it's there. And there was a result that came from it each and every time. So a question I have this morning, and we're going to look at it um, in three different pieces. I don't know why that always is in three pieces. I guess it's just God's reminding me that, you know, there's always like the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But like every message I've done recently seems to have two or three parts to it. Um, but I think these three are really important here. How do we live the gospel? Three things I want to look, talk about briefly this morning. The first is know their story. How do we live the gospel? We need to know their story. Who are they? It's everyone that's not us. You know your story, right? You know your story. Everyone has a unique story that impacts them. I think one of the most common questions that interviewers will ask when you go on a job interview would be what? So tell me about yourself, right? Have anyone ever had to answer that question? It's such a wide open question. You don't necessarily know how to answer it, but but we seem to have a pretty good understanding about who we are and what our story is. Um, And to be really honest about it, We kind of like talking about it. Most people like talking about themselves. That's true. Now, it doesn't mean that you'll do it ad nauseum, but if somebody is legitimately taking interest in knowing you or asking you questions, it's not that difficult 
for us to respond. And it really shows like, wow, you really are trying to get to know me. You're trying to show me I have value. You want to actually get into my world and understand my story. You understand? Like you're with me so far? That's so important for us to understand. Now, the reason why I'm saying that is because all throughout Paul's missionary journeys, one of the number one things he did was he knew the story of the people that he witnessed to. He would go to different towns, different cultures, different genders, and he knew the story. It didn't mean he knew their entire story, but he always looked for something that he could connect with to build a relationship with people, something that they would understand that he gets them, that he sees something in them to say, I'm not just here to give you some information and facts. I'm here to show you that I have some understanding as to who you are. So he enters a city, and he goes into a city. Right now in Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 22, we're going to pick up in just a moment, he's entering the city of Athens. Now, if you knew anything about Athens from this time, Athens was at one time the center of Greek culture, philosophy, uh, religion, education. It was like the think tank of people that just gathered to like come up with new thoughts and ideas. If you backed up about 400 years, I think, before Paul actually was there, you saw people like Aristotle or Socrates. These were the people, they, they were based out of, out of uh, Athens, and they came up with all of these concepts and these thoughts, and Athens was a hub for people to come and talk about stuff. You know, it's like the think tank of the world where they came and they, they kind of put on this, um, this, air, this air where it was, let's talk about, you know, concepts that are new and ideas that were exciting and intriguing. And in addition to that, there was also a center point for incredible amount of idolatry and worship of gods. And if you went through Athens, what you would find are many different temples that were built for many different gods. Some of you growing up maybe heard about Greek mythology. Do you ever, you know, any Greek mythology people, you remember like some of the names of those gods from the Greeks? You know, like the, the number who was like, like the big daddy god. You remember his name? Zeus. Okay, you remember that, right? Okay, and then remember like the guy who was like the messenger? The guy like who was, you know who that guy is, you know, with the little shoe? and You know what I'm talking about? Who was that? Anybody? Hermes, right? Okay, so you remember some of these. Wow, you guys, you know your, your pagan worship. And, no, it's good. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Athena was another god, a female god. And there were so many different gods. They had temples to these, and Athens was named after the goddess Athena. Okay? So Paul's going into this place where he knows philosophy and thought is important. He knows that idolatry, or I should say, the worship of gods is important. And he goes on the scene and look what he does in verse 22. He says, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and he said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Isn't this cool? You know, I, I, there's so many ways you could look at this, but think about this this way. How many people around the world think that there is no God and they're atheists? It's a very, very, very small percentage. I don't remember the percentage of what I read a while ago, but it's a very small percentage. Most of the people in the world believe in a higher power, believe in a divine being of, or multiple divine beings and afterlife. These people believed in gods, believed in higher powers, and they were also 
so much in belief of that that they made an altar to a God that they may have missed. Isn't that cool? Like, think about the openness of that, to say, we are looking for something greater than ourselves, and these are all the ones that we've known of, but here's another altar for any God that we may have missed. And Paul uses that as his entry point, because he knows their story. This is where he starts. He said, I see in every way that you are very religious. That's going to get their attention. Do you know why? Because it makes them feel good. Hey, you get us. Yes, we are very religious people. You know, think about that. When, when, when you know something that matters to you and someone comes up to you and they want to speak to you about something, if they compliment you on something that, that, re, that values you, I mean, it, it opens your heart a little bit more, right? So um, when, when we went to, um, a couple of weeks ago, when Pastor Rob and a couple crew, we went to uh, see, um, see, we went to Christ in Action in Western Kentucky, and uh, the leader that was there, uh, his first name was Chris, um, he was the guy responsible for all the operations and stuff. We did this tiny little like camera interview afterwards to, towards the end of the week. And he asked me, one of the questions he asked me was, um, he said, well, what was one of the things that really got your attention and impressed you when you came down here? And I'm paraphrasing exactly what he said, but I said, oh, I can answer that. You see, the second day that we were there, when we prayed for our meals, and I may have shared this story with some of you already, um, they said, who wants to pray this morning? You know, in typical Christian fashion, crickets. You know, who wants to pray? Crickets, everyone's looking around. And then this three-year-old kid says, I'll pray. And we go, okay. So I'm, wait- I'm ready to hear like, you know, yay, God, you're the best. He begins, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And my eyes open, I'm going, this kid's not going to do the whole thing, is he? Every single word. All the way down, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen. My eyes were like huge saucers. And I told him in the interview, what's one of the things that got your attention? And I said, the intentionality of the leadership in this, in this group. And he said, what do you mean? I said, because you can tell how intentional someone is with the ministry God's entrusted them with. If you look at their family many times, and if you're that intentional with your children, you're going to be that much more intentional with the things that God's asked you to manage. Isn't that cool? Like powerful. So Pastor Rob had to shut the video off because you're going to make them cry, you know? And he was sitting there, it was kind of like, you know, like I could see him getting a little emotional and it made me smile. Not because my goal was to make him cry, though I do have that tendency with some people. Um, I saw him. I knew his story. And I spoke something that affirmed him and his heart was open in the moment because it was connecting with him. Does that make sense? Relationally, we can do this with people who are believers or unbelievers. It doesn't matter. Paul said, I see you're very religious people. Greek culture had a long history of being religious. That was something that said we were proud of, and Paul spoke to that. And yet, in all the middle of what they did and what they knew about their gods, there was an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. So he compliments them, encourages them, connects with them, and then he says, let me talk to you about this God. And he even said it in a way, people can read this from a place of condemnation, but you, only, you don't see a lot of condemnation in the way that Paul, actually, you don't see any condemnation in the way that Paul writes until you get to Galatians and he talks to the Judaizers and tells them to go castrate themselves. But aside from that, generally what you see is him speaking truth, and he does it in a way that brings people closer to knowing Jesus. So he says, you're ignorant of the very thing you worship. And he's not insulting them. He's saying, you don't know this God by name. Let me tell you who he is. Isn't that cool? Like how he does that? So he knows people where they are. He knows their story. Can I just encourage you, wherever you are in your walk with Christ, 
Wherever you are in the days that God has called you to be, wherever you go, however you do your days, God has called us to know the story of others. You might say, like, well, that can sound like a lot of work. Not if the people that you spend and invest that time with are the people that God has already called you to live life with. Just know their story. Do you know their story? Do you know something about them that connects with them? Jesus did the exact same thing with all of his disciples. He did the same thing with Nicodemus. He did it with Mary and Martha and Zacchaeus. And the list goes on for all the people that were sick. He would meet them where they are, show them the value that they had. And then from that place, he would move them towards the gospel. And that's what the model is that we see. This is what happened. Why did he do this? Why did Paul do this? And then Jesus do this? Here was the motivation behind it. And I said this, because when we live the gospel, we know the stories of others in order to share the story of God. That's the motivation behind what they do. When we know the stories of others, we live the gospel, and we do that in order to share the story of God. His motivation wasn't just to get to know someone. It was to connect with them where they were so they could point them to the ministry and the power of a risen Savior. You with me? Okay, I hope so. I hope so. Um, Man, that's really good. That's what he did. This was his pattern. You know, yesterday we did a, a one-day leap thing for March, and last summer it was, during the, it was during the summer for one week. And one of the things we were talking about over the last couple of months was, how do you be more effective in reaching the community for Christ? And what would it look like to reach kids in the community and be more effective with that? And one of the things that has continued to come up that we've been talking about is getting leap out of the church. We need to get leap out of this building. And you might say, well, what's wrong with the building? Because there is a stereotype and a stigma that people have outside the Christian church about the Christian church. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like there is a stereotype and a stigma. And like I said during our all-church gathering a couple of weeks ago in the evening, when you look at the 132 times that Jesus interacted with people and what he did, Six of those times he was in the synagogue. Four of those times he was in the temple. And the other 122 times he was out with the people. So there's something about the building and the location that can make people feel a little standoffish. And my hope and my desire, and some of you, I know some of you over the years, that when you first walked into this place, you were kind of like, okay, I need to watch the ceiling in case God decides to drop a panel on my head because of the bad person that I am. Oh, I don't know who any, please don't talk to me. Like over, I knew people that came here during our worship time and they've told me over the years when we first started the worship and people were raising their hands, I just started crying because I thought everyone was like weird and, and they were crazy and I didn't know what to do and I wanted to get out of here as soon as I could. If anyone's watching online to try to figure out if they should come to Bridge, like don't use that as your example of why you should or shouldn't be here. I'm speaking in an extreme, not everyone feels that way, but my point is when your experience is different, there's a stereotype that people have about Christianity, and they get it from all the wrong places. You know that whole Westboro Baptist Church nonsense in the middle of the country where like 70 people run around the country and like boycott like funerals and stuff like that, and they're like, that's who a Christian is. And I'm like, that is not who a Christian is. Those people don't even know Jesus. You're saying they're not saved, Paul? I'm saying they don't represent Christ. That does not look like who Jesus is. And I'm sharing this with you because as we've talked about the idea of leap, the reason why we're saying that is because we have to know the storyline of the people around that we're trying to reach. And if it is an obstacle for them to connect with Jesus because of where we're doing something, we need to change our location. In the same way, if the way we speak to someone is an obstacle for someone, we need to change our approach 
If the translation, you know, I don't have a Bible here. I've got, how do I not have a Bible here? I have an electronic Bible. Okay. If the translation that we use doesn't make sense to someone, we change the translation because it's better for them to understand than for them to read the specific translation that you believe is absolutely correct. Are you following me? Like, I don't want to step on anyone's toes on this one, but I think this is really important for us to understand that when we become, as Paul said, all things to all men, we recognize the storyline of where they are and we approach it differently and we adapt to their circumstances to know what's going to reach them best. The way you're going to reach someone who grew up in a healthy family with a mom and a dad and the words that you can say to them and the things you can say to them are very different than the child that grew up in an abusive situation. There are triggers that you have to know about that you cannot say and do. And if you don't know their stories, you may be well-intentioned. Do you understand? You may be well-intentioned, but you could destroy someone's ability from getting to getting closer to Christ because you didn't know better. This is how this works. We need to. So we can't just say, we're just going to pray the love of Jesus on everyone. That's a real simplistic way of doing it. Paul understood where people came from and what they did. And that's why there are words that are okay for certain people and there are words that are not okay. There are approaches that matter for other people in some ways that has no basis on other people's lives whatsoever. Because if we don't speak their language and know their story, we are not creating an opening to share the gospel. We create a barrier to share the gospel. Are you with me? Like This is so, so important for us to understand. And it is hard to do this sometimes. Pastor Rob had us... um, practice asking good questions Friday night for our leap training. And it is hard to practice asking good questions if you're not used to doing that. Good questions are open questions. They're open-ended type of questions. They're not closed questions. How was your day? Good. How do you feel? Good. Yes and no questions are not great questions. What was it about your day that was good? How did you feel when this happened, you know, I, I love, I learned a lot over the years learning how to ask good questions because years ago, Pastor Nick Acevedo was a 14 um, year old kid that went to our church when he was very, now he's much older, um, and, a, and he's pastoring a church plant out in Cleveland. Some of you know him. But when he lived with us the first year and I was in seminary, um, he knew every Tuesday from 6 to 10 o'clock was my seminary class and I'd be home by 10.30. So by 10.15, like clockwork, my wife would say, Nick went to bed 15 minutes ago because he knew I'd come home and I'd ask him questions. And I wouldn't ask him closed-ended questions. I'd ask him open-ended questions and he didn't want to talk about anything. So he tells me, he's like, I'd go to bed every time I knew you were coming home. Like, you're going to ask me questions all over again. And, and that would happen because it was trying to get to know him and get into his life. You with me? Like, does this make sense? So there's no formula to this. It's just being mindful of doing this. We ask the right questions, and we see what God does. We know someone's story, and it opens their hearts to the gospel, which is the whole point and the next thing we're talking about this morning, which brings us to the second thing we do to live the gospel. We don't just know their story. We share God's story. If we're going to live the gospel, we know God's story, and we share God's story. Paul set the whole thing up by connecting to them, and then he goes and shares the gospel. And I'm going to start reading it beginning in 24. He says, The God who made the world and everything in it is in the Lord of he- everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. 
From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said. We are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world and justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Paul understood You guys, Paul understood that meeting people where they are and knowing their story and relating to them opened the door of opportunity to bring the gospel to people who needed to hear it. Their hearts were open and they began to respond. It was part of Paul's DNA, like I said earlier. And if you don't believe me, I'm going to jump to 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through um, 23, when Paul talks about this in a different way, when he talks about how he speaks to people and relates to people based on where they are. In 1 Corinthians 9, 19, look what he says. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Pretty powerful, isn't it? I have my rights. I have my freedom, but I'm willing to become enslaved, so by being so, I might save some. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. What is he saying here? He's like, Jewish people have a barrier, and if I don't know their story and I don't accommodate and meet their needs where they are, I'll never be able to bring Christ to them. That's why Timothy got circumcised. Remember a couple weeks ago? That's why he circumcised Timothy, because he didn't want it to become a barrier. And he said that. To those under the law that think the law is the most important thing, I, he said, I became one like under the law. Look at verse 21. To those not having the law, I became not one not having the law. He goes, though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ. That's another way of saying, um, I mean, People like to go and get drunk and crazy and, you know, and I'm not under the law, so I'm going to get drunk and crazy and win him for Jesus. Like, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, I'm acting as someone who's not under the law, but it doesn't remove my obligation to still be a follower of Christ under, the Christ, under Christ's law. Why did he say that? So as to win those not having the law. Verse 22, to the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. I think it's so powerful that that's the way that he lived his life. I wanted to know the story of the people around me. I wanted to understand where they came from so the walls could be broken down. Why? So I could bring them the hope of Christ. Pastor Rob and I were talking about something last week and I couldn't remember exactly what we were talking about. And uh, he said, you know, sometimes Christians make it so hard for people to come to Christ. And, And he's right, you know. I mean, that doesn't mean that I do that all the time or you do that all the time. Sometimes there's just an an unawareness that we don't recognize that some of the things that we're not doing or we are doing make it harder for people to see Jesus when if we just make a small adjustment, we actually could make it easier for people 
to see Jesus. So I'm challenged by this to say Paul looks at things and opens the door because he recognizes the barrier and then he removes the barrier. Really, really powerful. So then there's a result, and we see this in verse 32. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. You know that even when you do the right thing, not everyone's going to come to Christ. Do you do know that? You with me? You know this? Do you know this? Like, you're going to do everything that you think is the right thing to do, and some people are still going, you cray-cray. Like, I'm not listening to you. You're nuts. You're a fool. You're going to be mocked. You're going to be made fun of. This happens. Jesus said they hated me. They're going to hate you too. Thanks, God. Appreciate that. But it's true. Just because you do the right thing, it's not a formula. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Verse 34, some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Isn't that cool? Paul became all things to all men, approached evangelism and discipleship through a different perspective by knowing their story so that he could share their story. The last thing I want to mention this morning in understanding how we live the gospel. And this is where I think it all kind of comes together and how we do this. Because if you remember up front, I started by saying the doing, that we always have to do more, we should do more, and that message can almost feel overwhelming. I think this last piece pulls it together and shows us maybe what that could look like without the oppression or the condemnation. How do we live the gospel? We need to know their story, we need to share God's story, and then we need to live your story through the power of Jesus Christ. We need to know their story. We need to share God's story. And then each one of us, we live our story, or as I say, live your story, through the power of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? What does it mean to live your story through the power of Jesus Christ? Well, Paul alluded to it in Galatians 2.20 when he says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What is he saying? I exist physically, but the source of my light and my strength and my hope isn't me. It's Jesus. Does it make sense? I'm physically here, but I am no longer the source of everything that comes out of me. Jesus is the source of everything that comes out of me. In Acts 17, 28, he even quoted some of the Greek poetry that they used themselves. And he said, for in him we live and move and have our beings. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. What is he saying? The foundation and the source of what gives us life and hope and powers us through the rest of our years on this planet should be Christ and not ourselves. And this is how this works. Um, Hopefully, it'll make sense to you. First, I need a drink. Okay. So I have here a bunch of stuff. Okay. This is a power strip. Okay. Makes sense. You plug this side into the wall, right? And then there's there's four other little power plugs here, right? And you can take one plug and turn it into four, right? You with me so far? We're not off the technical cliff yet, right? Everyone's with me? Okay, good. Okay, you're good? Okay, so this is our life. This is our being. This is the core of who that we are, okay? 
This is where the power comes from. Okay? So, hang with me for a minute. If the power goes out, I'm sorry, Pastor Rob. No, I'm just kidding. When we plug this in, we become followers of Christ, the source of the power. Now power is our being. You understand? This is now live. This can now take electricity and power, and it can power four different devices individually if it wanted to, right? So now our being, our life, is being powered not by ourselves. It's being powered by an alternative power source that's now being planted in us. His name is the Holy Spirit, okay? That's how this works. Good so far? Okay, now this is where it gets really cool because all of us are very unique. All of us are very creative in different ways. God has made us unique. He's made us different. He's made us fearfully and wonderfully. That's what the scripture says in the Psalms, right? So then what he says is he says, well, because you're made different and unique, I have different purposes for you. And here's one purpose. You plug that purpose in. This purpose actually will charge my cell phone. Okay? With me? See, it's just charging. See? It's going to charge my cell phone. You got it? We all, we're all on the technical. We're all good so far? Okay, okay, okay. I just want to make sure. That's what this one purpose is. Then there's another purpose, and it looks different from that other purpose. Then I have this purpose, and this purpose gets plugged in, and I'm going to shine my light everywhere that I go. Okay? There's a light, right? Okay. I'm going to shine my light everywhere I go, but it's plugged in to the right source, right? Okay. You just stay here. Then there's another plug. I didn't bring this one here, but it's a different output. It looks different than the other ones. This one actually powers a headlamp that I have when I'm working on cars and stuff. You know what I'm talking about? Like a headlamp. So when I plug this one in, it's used for different purposes. Okay? And finally, there's another one that I'm going to plug in. This one can power an iPad. It can power a whole bunch of different things. But when I plug this one in... This one can influence things far, far, far away. So sometimes when God puts us together and he's made us uniquely, sometimes the things that we're called to do influence things right in our neighborhood, in our backyard. They're short, right? Maybe it's your family or your children or your friends or the people that you work and your coworkers. Sometimes the cord is a little bit longer and he asks us to get involved in some type of ministry and he wants us to participate in something that goes outside of our core. And, and, and the implications of that are a little bit further than what we would necessarily be able to consider on our own. And as you continue to play this out, sometimes the gifts and the abilities and the callings he gives us change the entire world because they're all the way over here. You see how this works? Here's the problem. Sometimes we want to change the world as we disconnect from the power source. So what happens when that happens? I need to do better at evangelizing. I need to spend more time in discipling people. I need to make more time on my calendar to do X, Y, and Z. I need to add all of this stuff to my life. When all Jesus is is teaching us through the scripture is when you stay plugged in to the power source, whether it's in your backyard or it's in the other side of the world, everything that comes out of you comes from Christ. So you don't need to 
find more people to evangelize. Because when you're plugged in through Jesus, you're already thinking like Christ. Which means whether there's someone in your neighborhood that you come across, Holy Spirit's going to talk to you about reaching them for Christ. Whether it's someone on the other side of the world, Holy Spirit's going to give you the power and the the understanding to equip you to reach people for Christ. Well, I don't have time to disciple people. Maybe it's not about what else you need to add to your schedule. It's just what we're filling ourselves with. And if we stay powered to the right source, our thoughts and our process. You know what's one? I'm going to use this one because this is actually really powerful. Um, Convoy of Hope is currently boots on the ground in the Ukraine, giving millions of dollars towards relief efforts. Okay, None of you that I'm aware of have gone to Ukraine in the last two weeks. But what if this plug powers this wallet? You ever think about that? I mean, not my wallet, your wallet. You know, but, but what, <laughs> just kidding. What, what if it did that? You're in Lansdale, and God's calling you to make an influence in the Ukraine. Or he's calling you to make an influence with community kids in Lansdale. And you can't physically do it, but you have the means to do it. Just one example. It could be many different things. And what what I'm telling you in the midst of that is when we filter everything through living for Christ, every part of our lives just becomes an overflow of what it means to be an evangelist and a discipler. So we don't necessarily have to add all of these other things to our life. We just have to allow God to use uh, every one of the areas he's called us to work in. Does Does that make sense? It's a different way of looking at it, and what I want to encourage you with is that if this becomes your priority and you're plugged into the right power source, you don't have to worry about whether you're doing the right thing for God or not. People walk around and go, how do I know I'm serving God? How do I know what's the right purpose? How do I know I'm doing this or I'm doing that? When we're plugged into the power source and our lives are flow through me, so that my neighbors or my family are impacted. Flow through me so that my community is touched. Flow through me so that if you choose to use me in some method by giving my life to this and and going to the other side of the world, flow through me. All of the stuff comes from the same power source, and the Holy Spirit is not going to lead us on or disrupt. He's not going to lead us on. He's not going to try to fool us and hide God's will from us. He simply says, bloom where you're planted. Bloom where you're planted. You know, I'm sitting here and I, I, I'm not going to ask you to come up and call you out, Mr. Jim. But I'm looking at you right now and I'm thinking it was only just a couple of years ago when there was an opportunity in nursing homes around our community to get out there and to reach people with the gospel. And it was on your heart. But, you know, if any of you know Jim Spielman, you know that he's got a very sensitive, compassionate heart. And I feel like that was like God was asking him to scale a mountain and listening to him talk. I I can't do this. I'm not qualified to do this. And we'd have the conversations. We know it. Just try it for two weeks. And I love that because that's like the inroad for God to get people involved in ministry. Just try it for two weeks. And then 20 years later, you're like, what? (laughs) Not only did he take over the role that was there, that was the gap, but he's seen many people. How many people have you seen come to Christ over the last couple of years approximately? Give me ballpark if you have any idea. Just a lot. Over 15? Over 15 people? Over 20 people maybe have come to Christ? Yeah. He's nodding his head yes. Over 20 people he thinks has come to Christ just simply by being involved in what God has put in his, in his uh, path to do. Isn't that incredible? Just think about that. 
What's so cool about that is that like, this wasn't something new. It's something God put in his heart. And as long as he stayed plugged in to what was going on in the power source, God just said, I'm going to flow through you and you're going to be a light where I'm calling you to be a light. The question I have really for all of you today as we get ready to close is, what is God calling you to do? And the answer isn't just do more. I'm not asking you what more is God asking you to do. I'm asking you specifically, what is God asking you to to do, meaning change in the way that you live? If you're working in a corporate situation, you know God has called you to be a light in the corporate situation. Do you know that? If he's called you on the, on the, 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 um, the work, if, he, if he's called you on the construction field, he's called you to be a light to those people. If you're a teacher in a school, he's called you to be a teacher and be a light to those kids. If he's given you incredible wealth and opportunity, he doesn't just give it to you so you can stare at it and watch it grow. I don't know if that's happening in this market, but that's not the point. He wants you to give the resources that he calls you his way, not because someone tells you to do it, but because he says, if you're open to what I have for you, I will use that. And the list goes on and on. If it's a musical skill, evangelistic tool, if it's compassion, if it's mercy, if it's helps, if it's administration, it doesn't matter. When we watch the LEAP program get off the ground and we see people that are gifted in their areas stay plugged into the power source, everything that comes out of them is an overflow of what Jesus is doing, and it changes people's lives. So live the gospel. Live the gospel. Our worship team is going to come up here um, in a moment as we get ready to close. And um, I just want you to ask yourself to think about that this morning. And we're going to put this one scripture back up there for you to think about and pray about as they get ready and they get settled. But Acts says this, I mean, sorry, Paul said this in Acts 17, 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Be mindful of the fact that when you're looking to be effective, when you're looking to hear God clearly, when you're looking to be used by God, sometimes it's not what's the next mission. Sometimes it's just the influence that God has called me to be in right now. How am I shining that light in that world? How am I blooming where God has planted me in the midst of that? What gifts do I have? What people and influence has he put in my path? And that's what's so beautiful about it. Because like I said, whether we're white collar, blue collar, no collar, whether we're students, whether we're retirees, it doesn't matter. Any age group that we're in, Jesus looks at each one of us and says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made with a purpose and a plan. I've given you gifts and abilities. And as long as you stay plugged in to who I am, I will use those. You just need to ask and you just need to obey when I do those things. Because when he speaks, he wants us to respond. Take a moment and bow our heads, please. The worship team's going to sing this song. And I'm going to open up the altar for anybody that would like to come and sit, if you would like to. Um, and then we'll have prayer people that come up afterwards. But if you're here and you just want to spend some time with the Lord and come to the altar, you're welcome to come and just kneel while they pray and while they sing. But let's be mindful of where our life really comes from this morning we pour out our praise to God, it's not because we have breath in our lungs that we create. It's because the breath of life comes from Jesus alone. And that's why we sing the way that we sing. Father, I just come before you and I thank you for each person that's here. In Jesus' name, I just pray that we would hear you. We would live the gospel. 
not because we add more things to our life and our calendar, but simply because we invest that time in staying plugged into the power source so that you can use all the things you've given us and we can be a light in our neighborhoods and across the world. In Jesus' name we pray.